fantastic. Good to see everybody feeling plenty air-conditioned off and cool, and everybody's good. Mixed emotions. Basically, no response at all. If you need a Bible, we want to get one in your hands. Just uh, make yourself known there. There's guys that are poised and prepared right there. Uh, David, you may have been uh, key in bringing those Bibles here, you know, eight or ten years ago out of that motel that we stole them. I mean, we're able to acquire them from... Uh, it was God's donation, man. And uh, no, they. Hey, man, God is good. Some of you are like, did you guys really steal those Bibles? No, we didn't steal any Bibles, right? guys. Let's take our attention to the Word of God and open our Bibles to the Book of First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 13. We're going to look at it its entirety today, though we do have <clears throat> a little bit that we left shy last week that we'll dive into before we get there. But the message is entitled, uh, The More Excellent Way. <clears throat> so with that, let's take our hearts uh, before the Lord. Father God, once again, we just want to come to you. We just want to humble ourselves before you, God. We want to say, here we are before you, and you would just have your way in us. Uh, Lord, that you would teach us by the power of your spirit, uh, that you would just, uh, Lord, cause your love to move and to minister and to bring hope and healing and whatever the needs are here today, God. And if there's any here today who perhaps don't even know you, Lord, that by the time, by the time we leave, uh, Father, that there would be transformation, regeneration, salvation for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in the body of Christ... Uh, none are insignificant, and none can be independent. You know, we've all been gifted in some capacity by the Spirit of God. We've all been placed in the body specifically where God has purposed as it pertains to His plan for our lives. So each of you have a role. Each of you have a responsibility if we're to function effectively as a body. Yes, we're members individually, but collectively we make up the body. And so we need one another. No one has every gift, but everyone has some gift or gifts, some combination thereof. And God has designed it that way so that we might have the same care for one another. You know, you can't think, well, you know, uh, I'm not like anyone else here, so I guess I just, you know, there's no groups for me in this place. I guess I just don't belong to this place. No, that's like a foot saying, well, I'm not like a hand, so I guess I just don't belong to the body. It's just an absurd mentality if you think it through, you guys, even just slightly. It's because the foot is different from the hand that it does serve a unique purpose and has a place in the body. It's the individual diversity that makes up the collective unity called the body of Christ. And each individual member has something to contribute to the collective. That's the concept that Paul seeks to communicate throughout chapter 12. And because no one has every gifting, that's why it's so important that each one exercises their gift, your gift, my gift, when we gather together so that we can build and, and bless and encourage and edify one another spiritually. As Paul told the Ephesians, he said, and he himself, in regard 
to Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, right? So that you know what to do, how to do with what you've been given for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Christ being the head, right? He goes on, from whom, that is from Christ, the head, the whole body being joined and knit together, notice by what, you know, a few joint supplies. Is that what it says? Well, why, by, you know, like a 20% of the joint supply and then the 80% don't do as much. Is that what it says? By what the lion's share of the joint supply. Am I getting close? Come on, you guys, what does it say? By what? Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which, you know, most people do something. Is that what it says? Every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If you want to grow, if you want the body to grow, that means somehow thinking through what is it that you do? How is it that you contribute? What is your part to play? Think about it. Here at the end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul emphasizes this same principle of mutual dependency in asking a, a series of rhetorical questions. If you're with me, let's take our attention to verse 27 of chapter 12. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. You know, it's interesting that the gift that the Corinthian Christians seem to be so enamored with, uh, which was tongues, you know, languages, uh, which by the way, last week I asked a question about tongues. I was like, is it legit? Are people faking it? And I said, yes. Uh, and uh, I, I hope that didn't come across like I don't think it's legit, but that only people are faking it. But the truth is, it is legit, but there are people who fake it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. But, but as far as any list of priority is concerned, Paul puts it at the end. Now, these gifts, these offices that they seem to downplay, he says they are of, of the greatest of importance. Why? Well, because tongues, you guys, are, and we'll see this more in chapter 14, but tongues primarily are for personal edification, apart from an interpreter. But apostles and prophets and teachers, they, as we just read, equip, they edify, they supply the necessary if you'll allow me the word nutrients or elements uh, that feed the whole of the body simultaneously as we gather together corporately. Now, I want to go on record as saying that even though we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, okay, that these first two offices that he mentions here, uh, are all apostles or all prophets and all, or these are first, uh, first apostles and then prophets. We don't see them with us today in the same sense that they were established originally. Now, why do I say that? 
Well, because Paul told the Ephesians within the same context of body life, unity through diversity and all, he said, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. In other words, you're no longer outside the body of Christ, the community of Christians, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation, that's the key, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone of the church. The apostles and the prophets established the foundation. We then, you and me, become the building blocks or those living stones, as Peter put it, that collectively comprise the house of God, or uh, members of the body of Christ, depending on your analogy. You see, he talks in a, a couple of different ways. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't special representatives of God, as were the apostles, or that there aren't timely messengers sent by God, as were the prophets. However, that same apostolic authority meaning I could add to the body of Scripture, you see, so as to instruct the church globally, or that office of the prophet, meaning that any time that person speaks on behalf of God, they have to speak with 100% accuracy, or if they're ever wrong, death is the penalty. You see what I mean? So if someone says they're a prophet, then we, are we going to hold them to the standard of the prophet? You, you, you understand? Uh, and so we don't see that today in the same kind of capacity. But these are the only offices that I am aware of that have the explicit scriptural awareness tied to them that they were established, the apostles and the prophets, for the foundational purposes of the church. Beyond that, we see teachers, we see gifts of healings, and we've discussed these things in previous uh, passages. He says helps. Now, what, that's a new one that's brought to our attention here. What is, what is the gift of helps? Uh, well, it's exactly what it sounds like. Helps does not uh, seek to uh, you know, find itself in the limelight. It has no desire to be seen. It's simply content to assist or to help or to aid in any way possible. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said when regard to, in regard to helps that they are the sort of brethren who are useful anywhere, who can always stop a gap, who are uh, only too glad when they find that they can make themselves serviceable to the church of God in any capacity, whatever. I mean, invaluable to the body. Now, every gifting is great, but some people, you know, they have their lane. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'll help you in, within this context. This is where I'm called. This is where I'm comfortable. But outside of that, I'm a little on the edge, you know? And that's fantastic. That's not helps. That's not helps. Helps is that place of, of it doesn't matter where the need is or what's going on. If you can plug me in, if I can fill a gap, I'm, I'm glad to do so. But not only will the gift of helps serve or evidence itself practically, it, it also has the capacity to serve you or to help you emotionally or spiritually as well. You know, 
There you were in that pit of despondency and someone came alongside you and they had a warm heart and a word in due season and an outstretched hand and they helped you kind of regain your footing. Guys, that helps. It can help you practically. It can help you spiritually. It will evidence itself in multiple ways. You see, everyone has something or some things, but no one has everything. And so Paul says here in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, uh, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings or do all speak with tongues? Uh, You know, do all interpret? Guys, do we need to spend any time developing the anticipated answer to these questions? No. Hmm. Because the point that he's making is obvious. It becomes crystal clear uh, by the very first question that he asks, doesn't it? I mean, are all apostles? Uh, yes? No. No, we're not. All are not apostles. All are not prophets. All are not teachers or workers of miracles. Not all will have the gifts of healings. So the question comes back within this same list. We kind of brought it up last week, so we won't linger on it today. But there are those who would say that you're not filled with the Spirit unless you're speaking in tongues. And some might go as far as to say you're not even saved unless you're speaking in tongues. But so, like, why is why do we have this whole? You know, it's like are all are all prophets? No, 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 no. Do all speak in tongues? Yes. No. Guys, not, here's the thing, not, not, not every, not any gift is for every believer. That's the whole point that Paul is developing here, okay? That's why we need one another. Look at verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Well, now that begs the question, doesn't it? What are the best gifts? Well, you know, Paul could be saying, hey, you know what? Within regard to what he just brought up, better to have someone teach you, you know, impart something that will aid you permanently as opposed to maybe relieving you through healings or miracles, you know, temporarily. He's talking about, he kind of gives this list of priority. And that may be true. He may be pointing to that. Um, But another way to look at it is that it really, you know, earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, the best gifts will depend upon uh, the need at hand, won't it? I mean, for instance, if you're ministering to someone who is sick or who is downtrodden, you know, uh, gifts of healing would be great. That would be wonderful to pray for, to seek after. If you're in the midst of a, of a kind of a sticky situation, man, a word of wisdom would sure be a blessing, wouldn't it? And so, you know, pray for it, seek after it, desire the best gift that fits the present dilemma, you know. So however you want to kind of see that, but beyond all of that, Paul says, I want to explain to you an even greater means by which you should conduct yourself and through which you should express yourself to one another. There's something, so no one person has everything, you know, yet there is something, he says, that's going to bless, that's going to benefit everyone around you. 
even more than the gifts themselves. And of course, you're all familiar with the famous 1 Corinthians 13 passage. He's going to enlighten us as to the role, the responsibility and expression of love in the midst of the body or, or, or in our midst. But guys, here's what I want you to take. If you've got a takeaway, okay, while I still have everybody's attention, um, it, here's what I want you to take from this section of scripture that we're kind of beginning to take on. The gifts of the Spirit are engaging, okay? But when love infuses them or begins to permeate them, they become enriching, okay? It's not enough to engage one another. We are called and responsible before God to enrich one another. Are you following me? To help one another grow, to edify, to build up one another. Okay. So let's look here, beginning at verse 1, chapter 13. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, let me keep this as simple and straightforward as I know how. The point that Paul is developing here is that it really doesn't matter how gifted I may be spiritually, apart from love, there is no profit eternally. Does that make sense? And to emphasize this, he gravitates toward these gifts that one might consider to be really incredible. He even brings up, he refers back to that passage where Jesus said, look, I'm telling you, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. It would obey. He says, look, you have the faith to remove mountains. He goes to this, you know, this whole, he begins to list these, uh, you know, incredible things. The ability to speak in other languages supernaturally, uh, speaking on God's behalf through prophecy, insight into otherwise unknowable mysteries, faith that removes the equation of impossibility. I mean, wow. I mean, how amazing to see and be a part of such things. But what Paul is drawing our attention to is the fact that apart from love, being the energy that fuels the gifts, that uh, motive behind the gifts, though these things, listen to me, may provide electrifying impact momentarily, they won't have any lasting value eternally. You understand that? In other words, they may engage you, but they won't enrich you. Not apart from love. Listen, love is everything, okay? Apart from love, you can be the most spiritually gifted person on the planet. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, remember this, you guys. When it comes to the exercise of the gifts, it's not about the what, you know, what's going on. Uh, tongues, a teaching, miracles, prophecy, whatever. It's not about the what, it's about the why. Why am I doing this? 
why am I wanting to uh, exercise this gift or use my, is it, is it to fulfill some desire to uh, feel necessary or needed? It gives me kind of a place of a, where I feel important or I'm, I'm seen as somebody. And guys, and you just, look, you have to search your own heart. You have to be honest with yourself. Why, why do I do the things that I do? What is your motive, you see? Is it for your benefit in some way, maybe hidden there back there in some capacity? Or is it, God, you have loved me. God, you have loved me. And you have given yourself for me. And you've paid the ultimate price that you might save me. I want to offer my life to you that you might use me, that you might be glorified in me. Oh God, just have your way completely. Do do you see how polar opposite those motives are? You know, you can do the right thing but with the wrong motive. You know, to kind of, and you know, you know the subtleties of your flesh, you know. Normally you wouldn't have picked up that trash but because someone was watching you went ahead and bent over and picked it up and you know, they're going, wow, and that person's serving the Lord. And you're like, mm, you know, I do what I can. You know, it was nothing, you know. But, uh, but we want to be a, a dispenser or a conduit through whom the love of God can flow. So as to not only impact, but to enrich and build up and bless those around us. Tongues. Paul says, even if you speak the, the language of angels, apart from love, it's just an empty noise. It's just, uh, just going to get on people's nerves, you know, like a clanging cymbal, you know. Uh, and he goes down the list demonstrating the irrelevance of any gift apart from love, regardless of how amazing it may seem. And guys, he's not trying to devalue the gifts He's trying to show us that the gifts find their value in love. Are you with me? He's not devaluing the gifts. The gifts find their value in love. Think about it, guys. How often does the subject of spiritual gifts come up in Scripture? I mean, it doesn't come up very often, does it? You know, you read through there, there's a couple of mentions here and there, and maybe a few different places. But by way of comparison, how often do you find an emphasis upon love? Ladies and gentlemen, it's everywhere. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. 1 Peter chapter 1, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Again in chapter 4, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. 1 John chapter 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, Guys, time would fail us to review and think through even a portion of scriptures that emphasize and exhort and command us to love one another. That should tell us something about the preeminence and the priority of love. 
And for the sake of pointing it out, most of you probably already know this, but the word that he uses here in this love chapter is the word agape. You know, most of us are familiar with the fact, and if you're not, I'll go ahead and share with you that, you know, the Greeks had a very much more colorful language than we do in that, you know, we have one word, regardless of where it comes from, from another language that translates to our word love, right? And so you can say, man, I really love the outdoors, man, I, I really love a good buffet, and I really love my wife, and, but I mean, you not, hopefully you don't love them all the same way. Right? But context will kind of tell you what's going on. Well, the, the Greeks had words for different things, you know, uh, and uh, so then, you know, they had uh, like eros, right, which would be where we get our word erotic. It's a sexual, physical kind of love uh, interaction. Uh, storge, which would be like a familial love, a parent to child or siblings, uh, you know, there. There was Phileo, you know, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. We're talking about a deep friendship kind of love. But Paul didn't choose any of those words here. You know, he, he employed the word agape, which would be described as an unchanging, giving, self-sacrificing love that does nothing with the thought of repayment, but it just gives without any thought for self. Okay? No desire to receive in return, it only gives to give. Now, and here's another little kicker to kind of uh, think through as it pertains to that. Uh, it really, this agape, it, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with emotion, okay? It, it's more about self-denial for the sake of something or someone else, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave, he gave, he denied himself for the sake of others, he gave his only begotten son. But guys, strictly speaking, and you've heard this, I've said this, you know, we at times describe agape like this is God's love, right? But I'm, I just want you to know that strictly speaking, we really cannot confine it to that, and here's why. Because John in his epistle, used this same word when he quoted Jesus' saying, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men, check it out, loved agape darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now he used it again in 1 John chapter 2 and 15. If you're the note taker, margin etcher kind of person, you can write it down and I'll let you look that one up later. But I want you to think about that. People will agape their sin. That is, they will sin with no thought for themselves or what the ramifications may be. They will love their sin to the extent that they'll sacrifice themselves. They will perish. They will give themselves for their sin. So when you read this chapter, don't think that Paul is just saying, well, you know, be nice or be friendly. No, agape isn't really friendliness. Now, of course, that would be incorporated into it, as we'll see later. I mean, agape is not going to behave rudely. But agape is self-denial, essentially, okay, for the sake of, an, of another. And Paul is taking the time to explain to us that apart from the proper 
motive or motivation, there is no benefit, uh, there is no profit behind anything we do as it pertains to an eternal type Benefit. Even the most magnanimous kinds of deeds, apart from the proper motive, add nothing to us eternally. Okay? I want you to notice verse 3, he says, um, And uh, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So what's happening here? He's kind of brought these incredible kind of gifts to our attention. Now he's kind of climbing up about as high as humanly possible. You know, the greatest sacrifice that a person could make, or the greatest act of service, you know, selling everything that you have, so that you could feed the poor. I mean, you are the greatest humanitarian individual to ever live. Even, he says, if you lay your life down in some kind of dramatic form of martyrdom. I mean, surely that guy, surely that girl is is like super spiritual. I mean, wow. Family, I'll say it again. It's not about what we do It's why we do it. Are you with me? You guys still with me? Okay. Because sacrifice and service can still be self-centered. You understand that, don't you? That's why Jesus said, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, you know. Hey, check it out, man, that guy's really, wow, look at what they've done, you know, that they may get glory from men. He says, I'm telling you, they have their reward. And that's when he went on, he said, when you do something, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's up to. It's, you know, then you'll have a, a, a reward from your father who is in heaven. Guys, in other words, he's saying here, don't do something to be seen by men. You're, you're going to make your mark. You're going to leave your legacy. You're going to achieve admiration and notoriety. I mean, man, people are going to remember you. That's great. That's it. it, it, it that's, that's it. I mean, it, it's going to profit you nothing before God if that's your motive to be seen by men. And it's love, you guys, that gives gifts meaning and depth. You understand what I'm saying? Apart from love, even the gifts are just shallow, self-serving, and meaningless. So what am I saying? Let love lead you to serve or to sacrifice. We talked about this, and every week someone announces different needs that are in the body, in the parking lot, children's ministry, just around here, worship team, whatever the case may be, or wherever, or whatever, right? Well, we don't want to compel you through guilt. We make needs known, but ultimately it has to come from that overflow of love. God, you have loved me. It's, uh, how can I not serve you completely? I want to serve you, Lord. And Jesus said, what you do unto the, the, the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. And so in by serving the body, you're serving Jesus' person. You say, man, I want to do that. Do you see the difference? Let love lead you to sacrifice or to give. Same thing. We provide just for your convenience the opportunity for the tithe or the offering. Never want to compel you through guilt. Man, if you can't give because you love God and want to see the kingdom, then just keep it. It's okay. 
Let love be that which leads you to do what you do, and then God will reward you, you see. Now you're not just engaging others, serving or sacrificing or giving out of guilt, but you're enriching them. And you're, you're laying up rewards for yourself in heaven. You know, one commentator said in regard to this gift, he said, or gifts of the Spirit and stuff, and he said, just write down a string of zeros. And I like the way that he kind of made the illustration. And he said, you know, put the gift, like whatever gift you want, over each zero, right? So teaching alone, zero. Prophecy alone, zero. Uh, knowledge, zero. Faith, zero. Um, you know, service, zero. Martyrdom, zero. And, and add all those zeros up, and you still have zero, Right? But you put the number one to the left of that string of zeros, and now suddenly every zero amounts to something. Right? Love is the element that needs to be added to every gift of the Spirit. Love will give them their value. Does that make sense? Okay. Look at verse four. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, of course, this is where, again, you note takers, margin etchers, those of you like to kind of keep track. Outside this little section of scripture, you want to write down Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You want to read that later. You want to write down Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 3, verse Verses 12 and 13. And you're going to look at those passages and look at this passage. You're going to kind of take notes, compare the two or three. But we have a list of 14 characteristics that kind of help us get a grip on what this love is and does and what this love is not and does not do. Some of these things are passive, some are active. Some, seven, are positive, some, seven, are negative, okay? Passively, it will endure. Actively, it will do good. It will endure wrong, and the burden that it brings, it will confer blessing. And so let's remember, guys, I just want to draw this back up to the surface here. Love may be accompanied by feelings, though not always, but it's demonstrated in action, Okay? Be it passive or active. And guys, you know, you already know. I'm not going to do a deep dive into all 14 things here um, that Paul puts in place. I'm going to highlight them. I'm going to trust that if you desire, you can then research further from there. Two things he says at the beginning of the list that, that it will do, that love will do. It will suffer long and be kind. Now, to suffer long speaks of an enduring patience when being wronged. You know, one day uh, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You know, like up to seven times? You know, he was expecting to, wow, Peter, that's really gracious. That would be incredible. Instead, the Lord says, hey, I'm saying to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, we're to be patient with people. 
We're to forgive them, if necessary, again and again and again. They come to you. They, they humble themselves before you. They tell you that they repent. They ask for your forgiveness. You give it to them. Love suffers long. Love never says, that's it, you know. I've had it. I'm through with you, you know, whatever. Guys, aren't you glad that God never said that about you? Like, that's it, I've had it, I'm through with you, you know, after you sinned against him over and over and over again in the same way. Man, you offended him the same way, again and again and again, and you said, oh God, please forgive me, and he said, I forgive you, right? This is the love of God. As Peter said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is, here's our word, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if the love of God is in me, I'll be patient with those who have a tendency to sin against or to hurt me. I won't be looking for opportunity to kind of, you know, even the score. Love is kind. Now again, this doesn't mean uh, that love is... Nice. Oh, what a sweet, kind person. They're always so nice, you know. Uh, now, again, it includes that. It, it, it's incorporated in that. But this isn't talking about um, kind of a temperament, like a kind-hearted individual. This is talking about acts of kindness, okay? Uh, you're doing good to others and for others. As John said, let us not love in word or in, in, in tongue or in word or whatever, uh, but in deed and in truth. That's what this is talking about, loving others in deed, in truth, in what we do for them. Uh, those things are to the positive. To the negative, love does not, will not envy. Doesn't resent someone when they get the promotion instead of, you know, I didn't get it, they got it. And hey, man, cool, man, praise God. You know, that you didn't get the acknowledgement, but they got an acknowledgement. What's up with that? No, it's not envious. Listen, envy is what murdered Abel, right? Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 4. Envy is what sold Joseph into slavery, Genesis 37. And envy, you may or may not know this, is what put your Lord on the cross. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 18, when Pilate said, for he knew that they handed him over because of envy. Love does not envy. Which means that love, here's, here's kind of the back step to that, right? If it does not envy, what does it mean? It means that it's content with its lot in life. Is life fair? No. Uh, some are rich. Now, some make themselves rich through wise decisions, and they do well, and this, that's great. Others are just born into, you know, lots of money. Some are poor through their decisions. Some are born, you know, into poverty. Some live in health. Others fall ill. But listen, and it's not that love is blind to inequality, but it's content resting in the fact that God has our eternal best interest and his eternal glory at heart. God loves me. He is for me. He's not against me. He has thoughts of peace and not of evil to give me a future and a hope. Okay? When Jesus was growing in fame, you know, John the Baptist, he didn't envy. Remember that? He said, he must increase. He must increase. But I must decrease. Think about that. 
There was no lingering inner boiling or burning because Jesus' ministry was excelling and John was kind of diminishing, falling behind there. No, it wasn't about John. And guess what? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, right? Love does not parade itself, doesn't draw attention to itself, needs no recognition, doesn't need to have that pat on the back, that good job accolade. Why? Because, well, man, I did all that. No one ever even said thank you. Then why did you do it? Were you doing it for the accolades and the praise of man? And I'm not saying that we don't want to show, you know, adequate appreciation when, when it's, you know, the time for that or whatever. But you're not doing it. You're not going to be like drawn back and never do something again if it's not acknowledged in the way that you thought it could have been or should have been. You, you understand that? It needs no recognition. Why? Because love gives. We already established this. It's not seeking something in return. It's not puffed up or arrogant. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up, encourages, edifies. We'll see this again in chapter 14 with uh, some of the gifts. In short, love is not prideful, but it's well-pleased to walk in humility. Does not behave rudely. In other words, it's well-mannered. Love is courteous. Does not seek its own. In other words, uh, gives preference to others. Looks out for the interest and well-being of others is not provoked. Now here's something. How many of you have, uh, how many of you here are King Jamesers? Like some of you are? Does your Bible say uh, not easily provoked? Well, if it does, uh, and I'm pretty sure yours does, Mr. King James, Mrs. King James. Not that I'm against the King James, not. But here's what I want you to do. I teach out of a new King James, just so you know. Um, Take a pen and scratch that word easily right out. It's not there in the, in the manuscript. It just says love is not provoked. Think about that. Uh, why was Moses kept out of the promised land? I mean, ultimately, we know he ruined the type when he struck the rock and all of that. But what caused him to strike the rock? He was provoked by the people. Love is not provoked. Uh, Thinks no evil. What this means literally is tallies no evil. Meaning uh, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Okay? I'll never forget it, guys. Years ago, the time, this was years ago, before we were even in this property, a woman came into my office with a notebook in which she had recorded every way in which and every day on which she felt like I had somehow offended or wronged her. I mean, and it wasn't a short list. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, she needed to write stuff down, so she wouldn't, I mean, I, you know, listen, I, uh, love does not accumulate or calculate or keep track of wrongs, okay? Write this down, you can read it later. Ephesians chapter four, verses uh, 31 and 32. Uh, does not rejoice in iniquity. Again, what can I say here? There's just something in us, isn't there, that loves to hear the dirt on people. You know? But bad news, news of failings or shortcomings or sin should grieve us. You know? Too often we feed on these things. I don't know, maybe it makes us feel better about ourselves. But it ought not be. 
Love rejoices in the truth. Even if the truth hurts, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend because truth helps us grow. The Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. Love bears all things. What does that mean? It means it covers or conceals them. Love, Peter said, covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't drag out into the daylight the failures and the faults of others. Now, that doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to sin. Sorry, I've got all this problem with my little earpiece here today. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to sin. We confront what needs confronted, but we don't go around advertising the sin of other people. Believes all things. In other words, we're not gossips, right? We're not going to run around and gossip and hearsay and this and that. We're not going to advertise sin. We're going to cover sin. Would to God that people would speak as good of people as they're willing to speak bad of people. I mean, wow, wouldn't it be great if we really like started touting how great people were and, and the good things they were doing rather than, you know, but you've heard it. The rumor runs around the world by the time the truth is getting his shoes laced up. You know what I mean? Um, love bears all things covers conceals them love uh, believes all things what does that mean it doesn't mean that you're just some naive like you believe every lie that's told to you it means that you give the benefit of the doubt Okay, in other words, you don't assume the worst of someone. You're presuming the best. You're giving the benefit. You've heard something, or, or maybe you've seen something, and you think, but you're not going to just immediately jump to the worst possible conclusion. You're, you're going to give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's something I don't know. You're believing the best of people, okay? Uh, hopes all things. In other words, love is optimistic. It's not pessimistic, okay? You, you're in bed, well, nothing's ever going to change. Love's not going to say that, right? I was like, man, God's going to do a work, you know. Endures all things. Uh, listen, guys, <laughs> I, I wish I could do a deep dive into a Greek word study here for you and find a loophole for us all. It just doesn't exist. When it says, th- these, it's, it's, all, it's good, but these two words, right? All things. Because this is where I wish I could tell you that all things really meant like some things. But it really means all things, Listen, I can bear some things, right? I mean, I can believe some things. I can endure some things. But God calls us deeper into love for him, for one another, for a perishing world around us. Not just some things, guys. All things, everything. Love does not run away. Guys, it bears all things. It endures all things. What does that mean? It means, again, it doesn't run away from a problem. Uh, how easy it is to just scoot out when you find yourself in a difficult situation. This happens in churches all the time. But love, love doesn't duck and run. It endures. It works things out. It, 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 it stays true, right? Now, if you want to, and guys, we're almost finished. If you want to measure your love maturity level, you've heard this test, right? You just put your name... Uh, right there in these verses, everywhere the place love is stated, and see how it fits. Jeff suffers long and is kind. Jeff doesn't envy. Jeff doesn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. Doesn't behave rudely. You know, we only get so far and it becomes kind of funny. But it's interesting, the name Jesus fits perfectly, doesn't it? My name, not so much. 
But by God's grace, we're growing more and more in his love. And as you grow and mature, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be quite as funny as you grow in the Lord. It'll get to where it's like, man, God's doing a work there, you know, or whatever the case may be. Now, ultimately, we'll be there when we see him, but until then, we're growing in him, amen? Now, in verse 8, it says, and go ahead and underline it, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So if you're into outlining chapters and such, Paul has spoken of the preeminence of love. He's spoken of the perfection of love. And now he moves into his conclusion, emphasizing the permanence of love. Okay, It will never fail. That means it will never fade away. It will never cease to exist. It will never come to an end. The gifts of the Spirit will fail, meaning they will. It doesn't mean like get it wrong, like, ah, you failed me. No, it means that the gifts of the Spirit are temporary. Therefore, the present time. But love is eternal. Now, when will the gifts cease, as he says here? Well, he tells us in verse 10. He says, when that which is perfect has come. Okay? Now, those who believe that the gifts were for the apostolic era will tell you that this refers to the uh, co- completion of the New Testament. Uh, but, uh, you know, context doesn't support that at all. You know, if you just read it. When Christ is ruling and reigning on the earth, ladies and gentlemen, or when Jesus comes for us, or when you go to him, you will have then entered that which is perfect a.k.a. the kingdom of God, okay? Uh, He tells us that right now we know in part. It's not perfect. We know in part. We prophesy in part. Guys, we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't understand all mysteries perfectly. We don't know the heart of God flawlessly. But when we see Jesus, right, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, we will know completely. We'll know fully. We, we won't have need any longer for the gifts, you see. Does that make sense? You understand? All right. Verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Guys, what he's saying, and he'll say the same thing in verse 12 with a different illustration. What he's saying is that the present time as it pertains to our maturity level and the things of the Spirit, the things of God, we're like, we're like children compared to what will be when we see Jesus face to face. That's when we'll enter that full maturity. Okay? He says, for now, the present time, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, or I have a partial knowledge But then I shall know just as I also am known. Okay. Um, In the ancient world, mirrors weren't like this perfect glass thing that you have in your bathroom or on your rear view mirror or whatever. They were polished brass. Okay. The image, it didn't matter how polished it was, the image would always be a little bit skewed, you know. And Paul is saying that's the way our understanding is now. But when we're with the Lord, we'll see the Lord clearly, we'll understand perfectly, we'll know as we're known. In other words, Jesus knows you perfectly, 
and you'll know him one day the same way, you see. That's what he's saying. Uh, That's when the gifts will no longer be necessary. Think of it like this. The gifts are like a flashlight. But when the sun rises, you don't need your flashlight anymore. You put it away. Okay, it doesn't mean there's no value to the flashlight. You still need it anymore. You see perfectly, you see clearly. Okay, verse 13. Abby, uh, well, you always sit way back there in the back. Right? You sit right here and just come right on up. <laughs> All right, verse 13, guys, let's look at it. It says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Isn't that interesting? The three pursuits of the Christian life aren't power and gifts and miracles. They're faith, hope, and love. What are you focused on? What do you desire more of? It should come back to these three things ultimately. Faith, hope, love. We know that faith will look back to the cross. Uh, hope will look forward to the coming. Love is what we're, you know, presently interacting, you know, as a body and all. And, but the greatest of these, he says, is love. Why? Because he's already told us love is eternal. Because God is love. Listen, don't just engage people. Enrich them. Love God. Love others. And change the world, amen? All right then, let's bow our hearts. God, we, uh, we ask that you would fill us with and help us to grow exceedingly and abundantly in your love. And God, we pray for a fresh pouring out of your spirit upon this body of believers, Lord, every heart that's here presently, maybe uh, online, whatever the case may be, God, that we would be busy about your will, infused, filled to the overflow with your love, edifying one another, glorifying you. And guys, we're just, look, I'm gonna cut you loose in just a minute, but while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just wanna say, God has loved you with an everlasting love. And he demonstrated that love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can never repay him, but we can surrender our lives to him. And so if that's you today, if you've not given your life to Christ, you've never opened your heart to the Lord. I'm encouraging you to turn from your sin, to trust in Jesus Christ today who went to the cross, who poured out his life that you might find life in him. And so if the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart today, I just want to encourage you to open the door and to let him in. Is that you? Look, don't worry about who's around you, who's in front of you, who you came here with. None of that matters. What matters is is your heart in God's hands. And only you know that ultimately. If it's not and today you want that to change, well, let me pray for you. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand and just show me who you are and uh, if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it and you can put it back down. But I just wanna give you a second here to think about where you're at with the Lord. And if you need his forgiveness, 
Today is the day of salvation. Anyone I can pray for? Yeah, I got you. Okay, guys. Well, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you've grabbed hold of the attention of our hearts. And it's your desire to change us, Lord, from the inside out. And so, Lord, I'm praying that as we have just kind of taken the time to think through, to consider the depths of your love and the love that you would have active in our lives. Lord, that those things that maybe you've drawn to our attention that, man, this, is, this was not something that you would have me be a part of. This is not an attitude or some kind of characteristic that is becoming of a, your child. Lord, we turn from those things today. Lord, the greatest of these is love. And so we're just praying that your love would be on display in this place and in our lives for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, why don't we stand to our feet? As always, may the Lord bless you and may he be with you. and uh, May he go before you and may he follow after you and just uh, engulf you in his goodness and his grace and his love. And, and may you become rooted in his love and may you grow in his love and may you lay hold of all of that for which he's laid hold of your life. And guys, again, you know, when we're in these sections of scripture, there's lots of emphasis on, on you know, being an active part of the body and that's appropriate. But again, I tell you, it's never to compel you through guilt. I will never apologize for the conviction of the Holy Spirit but I would never seek to compel you to do something through guilt either. I would just say, here, think this through, pray over this, seek the Lord. You've got to be true in your own heart before the Lord. Are you a part of, are you engaged in, are you doing those things that he's called you to do, enriching others through love? Something only you and he can establish. If you need any prayer, we're up here for you. We'd love to pray regardless of what your need may be. And uh, so, Father, we just pray, uh, God, that you would continue to uh, find fertile soil in our hearts for the seed of your word and that it would bring forth fruit for the glory of your name. Lord, we pray you go before us now, as always, that you're establishing our steps, you're ordaining our thoughts, and that our interaction would be edifying to one another. We love you, and we ask these things of you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.